Hi, everybody. Happy holidays and welcome to Macro Markets with Guggenheim Investments, where we invite leaders from our investment team to offer their analysis of the investment landscape and the economic outlook. I'm Jay Diamond, head of thought leadership for Guggenheim Investments, and I'll be hosting today. We are recording this episode on Fed Day, December 15th, 2021. I'm particularly excited about today's episode of Macro Markets because it features the leader of our macro team and one of the leaders of our markets team. With us are Brian Smedley, Senior Managing Director, Chief Economist, and Head of the Macroeconomic and Investment Research Group, and Steve Brown, Senior Managing Director and Assistant Chief Investment Officer for Guggenheim Investments. I'll be talking with Brian and with Steve about their thoughts on today's monetary policy decision by the Federal Open Market Committee and what investment themes they are thinking about for 2022. To begin with an update on the macro outlook on the economy, let's bring in our chief economist, Brian Smedley. Welcome, Brian, and thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Thanks, Jay. Great to be with you. Uh, well, let's start off. I want to talk about some related macro topics that are very uh, much in everyone's minds right now. Growth, inflation, the labor market, and of course, how all of this feeds in today's Fed decision. But let's begin with the growth picture. What is your growth outlook for Q4 21 and 2022? Yeah, so uh, uh, growth in the fourth quarter looks like it's it's picked up meaningfully from Q3, which came in around 2%. Um, Fourth quarter growth in real terms, we think, is going to be closer to 7% annualized, uh, so very hot. Um, to a certain extent, that's, that entails some pull forward of future growth. Um, but, um, you know, you asked about 2022, and there the outlook is also very positive. Uh, sequentially, we're, it's going to be a slower growth year than 2021, which, of course, is, you know, because of, uh, of uh, the natural slowdown as we move further away from the pandemic shock. Uh, but we still expect GDP growth in 2022 to come in around 3 to 4% for the full year, which would be well above our estimates of potential, um, potential meaning the supply side capacity of the economy to deliver the goods and services uh, that American consumers um, demand. And that estimate uh, of potential is closer to 1.5%. So uh, 3 to 4%, while still slower than what we've seen in the last uh, you know, 12 months, would still be a very robust year for growth. Now, when I hear uh, things like growth above potential and a lot of liquidity out in the marketplace, I think about inflation. Can you explain to us uh, how this transition, transitory phase of inflation is now seem to be uh, turning into something else? Certainly. Um, that, that's obviously been a huge story in the last several quarters. And really, you go, if you go back to the second quarter of this year, um, the initial spike in inflation was driven by reopening related um, activities primarily. And, um, and then in the, in the third quarter, it was more driven by global supply chain issues, and that was related to the, the spread of the Delta variant around the world. In the fourth quarter, then we saw some strong gains in energy prices. So we've seen a succession of quote unquote uh, transitory price shocks, which have accumulated into something larger and more sustained. But to your question about you know, looking forward, uh, we, while on the one hand, we expect some, um, uh, some drag on the inflation data uh, from uh, a pullback in goods, durable goods prices in, in 2022 as some of the supply chain issues get hopefully um, make, make some headway. 
we ended up seeing a median estimate of three hikes for 2022 and, and three more in 2023. But one of the things that was most striking to me and sort of counters the hawkish narrative or the, the fear about the Fed getting more hawkish is that if you look out to 2024, the, the median dot uh, of Fed officials is just a hair above 2%, uh, which is below the 2.5% longer run neutral rate estimate of Fed officials. Um, so that, that tells me that the Fed is, while the Fed is, you know, they obviously accelerated the taper, they're now planning to wind that down or to, to conclude the taper process by the middle of March uh, to position them to, again, probably hike at least a few times next year. Um, they don't see the kind of urgency to get policy to neutral, let alone a restrictive stance, uh, at least in the next few years. Um, so I think that was a relief to, to markets. Um, so, you know, on the one hand, uh, again, the Fed is showing a bit more urgency, but on the other hand, uh, they're not, they're not as, as Powell said, the Fed does not believe they are behind the curve, which means that they're going to continue to be moving forward on a measured and, uh, um, and, and uh, well-telegraphed basis, which is great news for the markets. What do you think the Fed will end up doing from here? given, again, this confluence of you know, macro issues that we talked about before? Yeah, um, I do think in March they end the taper. Um, I think that's a reasonable expectation. Um, I think in May they will likely deliver the first rate hike of the cycle. So they could, they could tee that up in the March meeting. Uh, they will get updated you know, SEP forecasts, of course, and they will have just finished uh, the, the taper process. So I think they'll probably you know, pivot right away and, and, and indicate that um, they're likely to start the process of rate hikes. So I would envision in a baseline scenario, three rate, rate hikes next year, starting in May, uh, and four more in 2023. Um, the key question is going to be, is that kind of quarterly cadence, is that going to be fast enough? Because real interest rates are deeply negative. They're much lower than they were a few years ago when the labor market you know, was in a similar state, when the unemployment rate was, let's say, 4.2%, which is where we are today. Um, so the question really is, is it a, would it be appropriate for the Fed to maintain a really a very accommodative policy stance, especially condition, considering how large the balance sheet has grown and how much duration risk the Fed has accumulated through QE? Is it appropriate to maintain that policy setting uh, with an economy that's as hot as we just uh, just discussed? So it sounds like it, if it, even if it's three next year and four the year after, it might not be evenly spread out over the year. I think that's right. It, it might not be. Um, I think, uh, you know, we've we've um, the market's kind of gotten accustomed to this idea that the Fed will go on a on a maybe a quarterly cycle, which is what they did before. Um, I, I don't I don't think we should necessarily assume the same thing. I, I think it's that's it's not an unreasonable base case uh, at this stage of, of of the cycle. But I would not be surprised if they decide to, let's say, hike two meetings in a row at some point or or, or, or more. Um, and I would also, you know, not be surprised if there's some turbulence along the way in the markets or in the, in the course of the pandemic or in the global economy, um, you know, that might cause them to, to skip a meeting or, or to, to go on hold. Um, and so it's, it's really, I think policy is going to be more nimble under Chair Powell. Uh, he's learned a lot of lessons clearly from the last, you know, four years that he's been in the seat. And I think that served him well today. I, I felt like, you know, for example, his press conference today after the FOMC meeting uh, was was pretty well managed. Um, and um, 
And so I think under Powell, we should anticipate, especially given how uncertain the outlook is and how many cross currents there are, you know, that uh, the, the Powell and the FOMC are going to be, you know, fairly flexible and, and pivot as needed, uh, depending on the circumstances. Well, it does beg the question, if the Fed can be nimble, uh, can the market be as nimble uh, in either pricing in these possible outcomes or continually hoping that things are benign? Mm. Yeah, look, it's um, I think so far we can um, I think it's safe for the market to to price in still a friendly Fed. Um, as we as I mentioned, there is an expectation, at least on the FOMC at the moment, that policy can very gradually return to a more neutral setting. Um, so if they follow that path, that would be, you know, that that's, I think, a benign outcome for the markets, especially given the really robust economic backdrop. So this is very supportive for corporate profits. Having nominal GDP growth running at, let's say, double digits or in that vicinity on a quarterly basis is very uh, supportive of corporate profit growth and continued gains in risky assets. So um, I, like I said, for me, where the rubber really hits the road is not so much the question of tapering. It's not even the question of liftoff because the Fed is so far away from a neutral, let alone restrictive setting, that that's not going to upset the apple cart given the underlying fundamental drivers of corporate earnings. So I think uh, in the near term, you know, it's um, again, I, I, I think the market can uh, can sort of stick to the script. Um, there's going to be a lot of hand wringing about the Fed, every every you know job job report, every CPI report, uh, and so on and so forth is going to be very closely scrutinized by the market to see if it might you know be forcing the Fed to move a little faster or or either way. So uh, it, it's probably too soon to ask about this, but if the Fed does uh, you know proceed in this fashion, at some point you have to start thinking about you know the timing of a recession or where the terminal rates. Uh, might be for policy. Have you given any thought to that? Do you? We have a fair amount of runway because the Fed seems like they're they're going to be dragging their feet a bit. I think they're going to be reluctantly moving toward uh, a more neutral setting. It will take time, and in the meantime, the, the economy is in in very good shape. But I do worry that you know we may reach a point, and maybe it's in later in 2022 or probably 2023 where we have to grapple with this question of how high is the terminal rate going to be? Um, and uh, does the Fed need to hike rates, you know, fast, like high enough or far enough to uh, to tighten financial conditions in a way that actually slows economic growth down to where we're operating within some kind of equilibrium, right? Maintaining, if we're right and GDP growth is comes in at three to 4% next year, that's not an equilibrium type setting. That's, that is, that's too fast for our own good. Uh, so instead of a glide path to full employment and a 2% inflation target, it looks more like a crash landing um, because we're coming in way too fast. Well, um, Brian, we could talk about a lot of different things, but uh, to close out, I wanted to ask if you have any macro themes uh, outside of what we've talked about that you see developing in the year ahead. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, beyond what we discussed, uh, the, the the housing market we think is going going to continue to be uh, supported by not only still low interest rates, but strong demand. And we've got a, a strong bid for housing from the millennial cohort, as well as other um, other demographics in, in, the, in the country uh, that are that would like to look to uh, to move into single family housing. Uh, and I think there, the reality is there's a, a deep supply shortage. Um, 
that's been building over the course of the last 15 years since the peak in the last housing bubble. Um, and so we think that combination of still strong demand and, and very um, limited supply is going to continue to push home prices higher. Uh, and I think uh, from a coming back to the market discussion, um, you know, we're expecting the floating rate credit will, will outperform relative to fixed rate bonds. Um, you know, we, again, we think credit, the credit backdrop is still fairly positive and we would prefer floating rate exposure over fixed. Well, thank you uh, very much for joining us today, Brian. Happy holidays. Happy New Year to you and your family. Uh, please come back soon and talk to us again. Thanks, Jay. I appreciate it. Same to you. I was also fortunate to catch up with Steve Brown, our Assistant Chief Investment Officer and one of the leaders of our Total Return team. Let's listen in. Welcome, Steve, and thanks for taking the time to chat with us today. Thank you, Jay. Thank you for having me. Well, I want to spend a few minutes to get your take on some of the headline market issues that the portfolio management team is confronting right now. And we're better to start than with the biggest headline today, which is the Fed's decision and what it means for financial markets. Um, were you surprised by the decision? How would you characterize the market reaction? Yeah, I mean, that's it, a good question and a good place to start. This was uh, one of the more anticipated Fed meetings of late, that's for sure. Uh, you know, the Fed had tipped their hands a little bit over the last couple of weeks to guide market expectations toward a couple of things. One, you know, an acceleration of, of the taper timeline, and then, and then two, a, a likely movement of the dot plots to bring forward some of the, the rate hiking expectations that they had laid out at their last projection in, in September. But I think in the last couple of weeks in particular, with the equity market volatility that we've seen, kind of continued volatility in the yield curve and, and in bonds and credit more broadly, there, there was definitely some uncertainty uh, heading into this, uh, this announcement. And I think there's been, frankly, the initial hour and a half reaction, if you will, has been one of relief. Um, you know, if you look into what was priced into the yield curve going into today, the market expectation was for changes in yields of anywhere from five to seven basis points, depending on where you are uh, in the curve, which is a little bit higher than normal for a big event uh, like a, a Fed announcement. And the market reaction uh, to the close was well inside of that. So front end yields are basically unchanged, long end yields up a, a bit or two. And so uh, and then, you know, accordingly, uh, equities rallied considerably and there's kind of a melt up almost into the close. And so it definitely had the sense of uh, it could have been uh, more hawkish. Um, the press conference seemed to go relatively well, uh, at least if you're thinking in terms of, you know, lower than expected volatility. And so, uh, you know, so far so good, if you will, from a messaging standpoint. But there was a lot said today. There was definitely a hawkish tilt, as was expected. Uh, and I think it's going to take a little while for market participants to digest you know, what this means for the trajectory for Fed policy, because for so long it's been uh, very accommodative and obviously they're removing accommodation, the speed with which can be debated, you know, but that has long term implications for the credit markets. Well, I know that you have to be ready for any outcome uh, in the portfolios, but do you expect the Fed to stay on this current path? Um, you know, of accelerating the pace to remove accommodation. Uh, do you think they'll have to speed up or slow down as things progress? And uh, what impact do you think this will have on the markets and, and the shape of the yield curve? Mm -hmm. uh, so I think, you know, our view 
Well, one on, on, on tapering, I think at this point is, is it's probably maybe a little too soon to think about whether they would accelerate any further. And given the current pace, you know, they'll be wrapped up within a couple of months anyway. And so I think the expectation there is, is for it to just continue on that glide path. Um, you know, as regards or with regards to the yield curve and the shape of the yield curve, you know, we've been on a, a flattening trajectory for the better part of the last six months. If you think throughout the course of the year, uh, you know, we're kind of at two regimes almost. You had the first quarter where you saw a significant steepening of the yield curve and a rise in rates, you know, driven by the long end of the curve. And then the last six months to lump them all together has been a flattening of the yield curve with long-term rates actually coming down and short-term rates and rates in the belly of the curve starting to move up as market expectations for uh, the hiking cycle became more and more prevalent. So I think longer term, one of our highest conviction views, if you will, is, is a continued flattening of the curve. However, we've come a long way very quickly. Um, you know, if you look even at just fives, tens, for example, you know, there's a 20, 25 basis point yield differential. Whereas if you think back to the start of the year, that was much more significant. And when you think back to March at our steepest point of the year, you know, that was, I think, over 100 basis points. And so, you know, we're now into the regime of, you know, clearly the Fed is communicating that they'd like to tighten policy. They'd like to raise rates. The market is starting to discount that. You know, it's back to the broadly rising rates, um, but in our opinion, more muted relative to history. Um, you know, so the having floating rate exposure, assets that will perform well in a slow but rising rate environment, and one where ultimately they're positioning for at the very end of this cycle, a completely flat yield curve, which to us means more of your duration being further out the curve, not having much duration in the front end of the curve, and being in assets and, and categories that perform well in that environment, and namely that's going to be credit in our opinion. It seems as if though, as it relates to the Fed policy before we leave that, is that the Fed is actually removing a certain amount of uncertainty mm -hmm. uh, in the marketplace. Yeah. We know the tapering is going to be over soon, and it's pretty clear from the dot plot that the Fed will be raising rates, three, at least they're saying now, three times in next year, three times a year after that, and four times. I mean, that's over the horizon, but still, the, the market should be preparing for that. So the Fed is pivoting. How quickly can the market pivot to this type of regime? Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the market's only kind of half believing the Fed at this point. So, you know, if you look out, it, you know, the, we're pricing in a terminal rate somewhere in the mid ones. You know, the Fed's neutral rate is still in the mid twos. You know, the last cycle we got to two and a quarter to two and a half. So very close to, you know, their longer term projection for the neutral rate. So, um, you know, there's a lot of room for the market to start pricing in more of what the Fed is saying because for now they're, they're not fully believing it. And I think the narrative right now is that the Fed is potentially moving too quickly, uh, which will uh, solve the problems they're looking to solve, namely inflation and an overheating labor market. But that's, um, you know, that, that risks cutting off the recovery and it, it, it risks having a shorter economic cycle this go around and last go around. So I think, you know, a lot, the Fed, you know, the Fed is always 
making longer term projections, they rarely come out exactly as they predict, just like market participants do the same thing. And uh, everybody's wrong, you know, the majority of the time. So I think, you know, what we're thinking about longer term is shape of the yield curve and ultimately how how tight can policy get and how high can rates go. And in our opinion, rates can't go as high as they did in the last cycle. Ultimately, they're the ability for them to rise is contained for any number of reasons. And for now, at least, you know, we have this continued period of which should be relatively easy monetary policy and financial conditions, which is good for risk assets, which is good for credit. And so the immediate strategy isn't really changing from our opinion. So are you in risk on or risk off mode? So yes, you know, we are broadly still in a risk on uh, environment. We think that risk will continue to perform over the next couple of years uh, because policy will still remain broadly accommodative. You have strong economic growth and you know broadly strong corporate fundamentals. But what's going to change and what's changed for us broadly is the, the different credit categories that we're invested in. So our overall credit beta, if you will, has come down at the margin just because spreads admittedly are much tighter you know, than they were when we were kind of more at a max risk on uh, um, uh, positioning. But, uh, you know, thinking back over the last two years, for example, investment grade corporate credit was the best performing fixed income sector last year, up close to, to 10%. You know, this year it's the worst. Uh, last year it benefited from, of course, a lot of spread volatility, but ultimately tighter spreads on the year and lower interest rates. This year, starting at a lower spread base, uh, and then having broadly higher interest rates, you've had a negative total returning asset class. So it's not a one size fits all approach to investing in credit and investing in risk categories. There are credit categories that are going to perform better in a broadly rising rate environment and a broadly tight spread environment. And to us, that's things like bank loans, structured credit, you know, potentially high yield bonds. You know, we're, we're, we're cha- making changes to the makeup of our credit exposure, despite it still being a good time to be in credit. Not everything is going to perform in line. Uh, what are some of the big market themes, concerns, opportunities that you see developing uh, mm-hmm. in the year ahead? Yeah, I mean, you know, while, while not much has changed from our, to, you know, to our immediate playbook and, and investing in credit and still broadly positioning for, for upside uh, in risk assets, you know, there's obviously heightened uncertainty, policy uncertainty, uh, data volatility. I mean, some of these data releases that we see, we're, we're almost getting desensitized to them. You see these inflation prints that, you know, you're getting annualized prints, high single digits. I mean, nominal GDP uh, is likely to be in the teens, you know, this quarter, uh, quarter over quarter annualized growth you still have this significant amount of data abnormalities uh, from the troughing of all of the activity in 2020 and then the substantial recovery this year. So you almost have to look back to 19 or even 18 um, in, in kind of trying to more normalize the data. And there's the debates of what's, uh, you know, if things have certain, have prices of certain things been just reset higher and then they resume a more normal trend just a lot of uncertainty, uh, and if you're, you know, if you're trying to position purely for, you know, policy and trying to time policy or make um, 
you know, make all your positioning around some expected policy response, I think that's that's challenging. So to us, it's being comfortable in the credit categories you're investing in, investing and underwriting for the longer term, acknowledging that there are significant uncertainties going forward. And, um, you know, just knowing that it won't always be this, you know, an easy time for credit. It, it seems easy now. Uh, you know, default rates are close to zero and distress rates are very low. But, you know, that won't always be the case. So it's it's not a warning per se, and that's an obvious statement. Um, but credit selection, prudent sector rotation, risk management, when the times are really good is, is sometimes the most valuable because that tends to precede, you know, a not so good time. And any, uh, any exogenous events uh, or potential events that you're kind of watching with a wary eye? It's tough to name just one, um, but just knowing that when, when markets are kind of, you know, priced for uh, normal and continued, normal markets and continued strong growth, you know, it, it, anything could derail that. So I think it's just a time to be, uh, be mindful of the fact that um, spreads are relatively tight. You need to focus on relative value. And, um, you know, ultimately, we think there are still enough opportunities out there to, to put our portfolios together. Well, great. Steve, thank you so much for uh, spending some time with us. I know how busy you are. Uh, happy holidays to you and your family, and I hope you'll come back and speak with us again soon. My thanks once again to Brian Smedley and Steve Brown. And thanks to all of you who joined us for our new podcast. I'm Jay Diamond, and we look forward to gathering again for the next episode of Macro Markets with Guggenheim Investments in the beginning of 2022. In the meantime, for more of our thought leadership and videos, including the CIO Outlook by Scott Minard, our global CIO, visit guggenheiminvestments.com slash perspectives. On behalf of all of us at Guggenheim, happy holidays and best wishes for a happy, healthy, and prosperous new year. So long. Important notices and disclosures. Investing involves risk, including the possible loss of principal. This podcast is distributed or presented for informational or educational purposes only and should not be considered a recommendation of any particular security, strategy or investment product or as investing advice of any kind. This material is not provided in a fiduciary capacity, may not be relied upon for or in connection with the making of investment decisions and does not constitute a solicitation of an offer to buy or sell securities. The content contained herein is not intended to be and should not be construed as legal or tax advice and or a legal opinion. Always consult a financial, tax and or legal professional regarding your specific situation. This podcast contains opinions of the author, but not necessarily those of Guggenheim Partners or its subsidiaries. The opinions contained herein are subject to change without notice. Forward-looking statements, estimates, and certain information contained herein are based upon proprietary and non-proprietary research and other sources. Information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, but are not assured as to accuracy. No part of this material may be reproduced or referred to in any form without express written permission of Guggenheim Partners, LLC. There is neither representation nor warranty as to the current accuracy of, nor liability for, decisions based on such information. Past performance is not indicative of future results.